Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Movie Club, where we're bringing you all the movies that you loved through the 80s and 90s. Do I sound enough like a radio host right now? The most. We're bringing you the movies of 80s, 90s, and today. Strike today. Just when life was good. Sometimes I forget that you're like professional at this. Yeah, one of us had to be. <laughs> you bring the so. brains and I bring the sweet, silky timbre. And then we're going to get reviews that are like, yeah, this podcast is good, but that girl is annoying as shit. The sound of her voice <laughs> makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> My name's is Jazz Zapatos, and I once wore Katy Perry's pinky ring for her while she played an acoustic set. What the fuck? That's crazy. Oh, mine's going to be horrible. Okay. I'm Dan Levine, and... Uh, one time I broke my toe walking into my room. <laughs> you really know how to level up. It's the best I could think of. Well, you know, next time. Today we are going to be talking about what I would consider a cult classic, and that is Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. I love this movie so much. There's so many days that I stayed homesick from school. I would watch it on TV, almost exclusively on TV. I think that's one thing that I found out from rewatching is when they said mm. curse words, I was totally taken back because I only knew the version that was edited. Right. I wonder if we're ever going to do a movie, Dan, where we start the episode and you're not like, I just love this movie. It's the best. I was thinking about that. I, I promise I'm being objective. I'm not just saying everything is like great. I swear. Right. One day you'll hate a movie that we talk about. So why don't we set the scene? The description of this movie reads, 10 years after their high school graduation, Romy and Michelle haven't exactly accomplished everything everything they set out to do. Despite their strong friendship, their personal and professional lives are still lacking. When they hear of their upcoming high school reunion, they take it as an opportunity to show their classmates how much they've changed. First, by trying to reform themselves, then by creating a lie that eventually spins out of control. The director is David Merkin. Unfortunate last name. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Merkin. And the two main characters are Mira Servino who was Romy, who when I was looking at her IMDb, I couldn't really figure out anything that I knew her from. Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah, which she had just won an Academy Award for right before they started working on this movie. Whoa. Kudos, Mira Savino. Lisa Kudrow as Michelle, who everyone knows as Phoebe from Friends, who crushes it in this movie. I think she might be the best part. Well, fun fact, this movie was originally a play. It's based on an original play by screenwriter Robin Schiff and the play is called Ladies Room in which Romy and Michelle were like marginal characters and the play took place entirely in a Mexican restaurant bathroom during happy hour and Lisa Kudrow actually originated the role of Michelle in Ladies Room the play when it premiered at the Tiffany Theater Whoa. in West Hollywood in 1988. So she's been playing this part since the dawn of time. So she's got it down. Yeah, I mean, she originated it. Schiff met Kudrow when they were both members of The Groundlings in LA. The Groundlings is an improvisation and sketch comedy theater that's been in LA for over 40 years. And it's kind of like the West Coast version of UCB was for New York. And a million famous comedians have all started at the Groundlings. So a lot of famous people cross over there. And so, yeah, they met there. Uh, Schiff put her in the play and then boom, she was Michelle forever after. Man, I really want to know how similar the play was to this movie. Read it. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll read it and come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> the ladies room. Yeah, 
So the other notable cast members are Janine Garofalo. Goddess. Who plays Heather. She's the best. I feel like she's a professional at smoking cigarettes. She's like a human cigarette. Yeah, she is a human cigarette. She was in Reality Bites, of course, Wet Hot American Summer. I mean, she's been in so many things. I mean, she like embodies the 90s in a way that I don't know if anyone else does. No, I was just going to say, when I was getting dressed to record this, I was like, do I have anything kind of Romy and Michelle-y to wear for inspiration? And then I was like, I'm just going to put on some dark lipstick and channel Janine. Yeah, you're crushing Janine. <laughs> I just need a cigarette. <laughs> That's true. First, I need to learn how to smoke cigarettes. Then I will light up a cigarette. So her kind of counterpart a little bit in this movie is Justin Thoreau, who is the cowboy. Yes. Who's featured so rarely, but once I saw he was in it in the opening credits, I was like, I don't remember him being in this. And then he's there being gorgeous and mysterious. He might be the most handsome person alive. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he plays such a minor role in this. But, you know, Justin Thoreau, as we know him in The Leftovers, Wanderlust, which is just one of my favorite movies ever, American Psycho, he says four words in this whole movie. Right. We see his face for a total of three seconds. Shame, shame. Um, and then we've got Alan Cumming as Sandy Frank, the nerd in high school that turns out to be a massive success. And then I think one more is Elaine Hendricks, who plays Lisa. Yes. The person who works for Vogue as the fashion editor. Mean girl turned nice girl and Meredith Blake from It Takes Two. Uh, Meredith Blake from Parent Trap. That's what I meant to say. Meredith Blake from Parent Trap. But a very (laughs) easy mistake to make. Sorry, wrong movie about twins. She's always the mean girl. Yeah, but she she redeems herself. She had really 90s eyebrows in this. Very much so, yeah. She never really came around in the parent trap, never really redeemed herself there. Well, yeah, once she literally had an entire lizard in her mouth hole, you don't come back from that. It's tough. Another cast member that you would have been able to talk about, but you cannot because his one scene got cut is Will Ferrell. What? Will Ferrell had a scene in this movie where he played a cater waiter at the reunion and there was a scene where the lie is revealed that Romy didn't really invent post-its and Will Ferrell was supposed to be like helping her try to convince the mean girls that she did with like a fake phone call. But they actually found that the scene was too sad to watch. So his whole scene got cut, which seems insane that he would be in this movie and not make it to the final cut. Yeah, I mean, I guess in 1997, Will Ferrell's not the Will Ferrell we know. No, definitely not. Is he even in SNL at this point? Yeah, he joined SNL in 1995. So he was the beginnings, at least, of Will Ferrell. One more fun fact about the cast. Mira Sorvino was not the only actor to be considered for the role of Romy. Apparently, Australian actress Toni Collette was originally slated to play Romy. Whoa. And she and Lisa Kudrow were like already starting to go over the material together and then she decided ultimately not to go through with it. So Merkin surmises that Colette's reluctance was due to the intimidating Valley Girl accent, which is surprising to me because I think that's a pretty easy one to do. But then again, I'm not Australian. So. Okay. So first of all, Tony Collette's Australian? I had no idea. I didn't know that either. <laughs> uh, also, Tony Collette's like a dynamo. I can't believe that she would turn down anything because of how difficult it was. My thought is that that was the excuse she used to politely excuse herself from a movie she maybe thought would be bad. Fair. Totally fair. She paved the way for the movie as we know it now. Exactly. And I don't think it would have been the same with Tony Collette. I agree. I think that Mira Savino absolutely crushed it. She absolutely smashes it. So Daniel, I've pulled some reviews, as I do, that I would love to read to you. Please, yeah. Just so people can know what to expect. 
By the way, we feel obligated every week to let you know that this episode will be packed with spoilers. So if you haven't watched the movie... I think that you might be born in 2005 or later, in which case I don't have much to talk to you about. Honestly, not sure what you're doing here. So go watch the movie and then come back. See what you think. Grow up. Yeah, and and grow up. Grow some ball hairs and then come back to us. (laughs) And watch Romeo and Michelle. Grow some ball hairs and watch Romeo and Michelle. Unless you're a woman, in which case, don't worry about it. All right. I've got a few reviews for you. Ryan Gilby of The Independent writes, call it Bill and Ted with attitude or a toothless clueless. Either way, the film uses up its best lines in the first 40 minutes. Oh, kind of fair. Next up, you know I love to throw in a review from Mr. Roger Ebert, which I think you'll be surprised by this one. He says, comedies are hard to make well. The proof is in how many are made badly. This one is light as a feather and cheerfully inconsequential, which I think is a compliment. Romy and Michelle is one of the brightest and goofiest comedies in a while, a film that has a share of truth but isn't afraid to cut loose with the weirdest choreography I have ever seen. So this is our third movie that we're talking about. And I'm just starting to understand. No, I think I've understood this a while. But like why Roger Ebert is such a popular critic. I think he's kind of dead on all the time. He's strict but fair, like a loving papa. He is kind of a loving papa. I hope that he sticks around for a while. Is he still alive? I think Ebert died. Well, that's who we're talking about. Wait, no, sorry. Oh, Siskel died. Yeah, Siskel died. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, I hope he sticks around for a long time. <laughs> he is sorry. dead, though. Uh, rip in peace, Siskel. Yeah. Anyway, our last review I have pulled from Amazon from user Praise God, titled, Okay, if you don't mind hearing the F word. Wow. The review reads, I love the story, but did not like the horrible language. Which, I mean, lady, it's rated R for language. It has an R rating specifically for the language and pretty much nothing else. Also, I, I mean, don't take me to the bank on this, but I think that there's like one time that they use the F word and it's like a big moment. Like they zoom in. They zoom into her mouth. Merkin actually fought the studio on the rating for this so that they could say it in that. I mean, we could say fuck on this podcast. It's going to be rated explicit, but it was very important for her to say fuck in that moment. And he fought tooth and nail to get that rating to make it happen. So if you're not going to do your homework or even check the rating on a film and you're offended by curse words, well, praise God, probably find a different movie. And maybe if it was PG-13, it would have been wildly successful and we might not even be talking about it on this podcast because it would have been like just a really well-received movie and not kind of a cult. Too commercial. Yeah, exactly. We don't do any of that shit. I don't do that commercial Slash shit. episode one, Mrs. Doubtfire. And episode two, Jurassic episode two, Park. Jurassic Park. <laughs> it doesn't really get much. Yeah, more. we don't talk about any commercial successes on this podcast. It's a you know little known movie called uh, Jurassic Park. If you haven't heard of it, well, the yeah. first one, obviously, before it like blew up and got popular. <laughs> I like the Jurassic Park first album the best. After that, they sold out. The self-titled. Shall we dive on into the plot? Yes. Please. I'm going to say this movie had me at hello. Literally, as soon as it starts, it comes in with just a girl by no doubt blaring. That is like the essence of my childhood. I mean, that's my first note. It's such a great song and no doubt kicks ass. Which is funny because when they were putting together the soundtrack for this movie, they wanted to pull a ton of super iconic 80s songs, 90s songs. And this song, they originally were not going to put it in because they thought it was like a little too punk and off the beaten path because No Doubt hadn't actually blown up yet. So from the time they signed the deal to use the rights for this song, and then by the time the movie came out, No Mm. Doubt was a huge success. And they were like, well, thank 
God, because otherwise this deal would have been way more expensive because they already, okay, get this. They spent a million dollars just on the rights to the songs and the soundtrack. Whoa. I mean, it is a killer soundtrack. Super bops. Yeah. We've got Cindy Lauper, Bananarama, LaBouche, the Bee Gees, the Village People, Wang Chung, Devo, Kenny Loggins, the Go-Go's, Tears for Fears. Like that's stacked and that's a million dollars worth of songs in your movie. So thanks for giving it to us on the cheap, no doubt. A fun fact, Cindy Lauper was pretty much unknown until this movie came out. No. No, I'm sorry. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> you had seen your face. You could see his face, like the deadpan delivery. I was like, is everything I've ever known a lie? No, she ruled way before this movie. But Time After Time is just one of the best songs ever made. Correct. I honestly think like this movie probably wouldn't be as successful without the soundtrack that it has because those songs pull at your heartstrings so much. Side note, this is something that kids today will never understand. Back in the day, had a crush on this boy who lived in my cul-de-sac and I would just put on time after time and stare out the window and wait for him to ride his bike around. I think we all have some kind of memory attached to time after time, which makes us love this movie all the more. I mean, who's to say, but but yes. Moving on. Zoom in on a Venice beachfront apartment, which must be about a billion dollars. Yeah, it's gorgeous. They're living the life. Living the life. That apartment building is actually now a hotel called the Venice Suites. It's located at 417 Oceanfront Walk. <laughs> so you can actually stay there if you want. Stay in the Romeo and Michelle apartment for a night. I feel like they kind of dropped the ball by not kind of calling out Romeo and Michelle in the name. The Romeo and Michelle Hotel. The Romeo board. <laughs> so we roll up to their apartment, which I'm immediately like, it's like one of those Sex in the City moments where you're like, how does Gary Bradshaw afford this apartment? I'm just writing a sex column. So I'm like, okay, what do these <laughs> girls do that they can afford this beachfront apartment? And it's working at a car dealership and also nothing, no job unemployed. So I was like, somebody's dad is rich, but they don't go into it. Uh, also, side note, how do you say this word? J-A-G-U-A-R. Jaguar. Nice. That's what they say it in the commercials sometimes. How do you say it? Jaguar. Okay, so people from Delaware say Jaguar. People from Delaware can... Nah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah, so big plot hole there. Definitely didn't think that one through in that one of them's unemployed. One of them works for Jaguar, just at the front desk, and they're living in an oceanfront apartment in Venice Beach. So, you know, it was a different time then, I guess. Time being 1997. I mean, it's kind of like House Hunters. Those like memes where it's like, yeah, I own a roach farm and my husband collects stamps and it's like, what's your budget? It's like $750,000. It's like creating a flea circus and then having enough money to create a theme park for dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get that joke, listen to episode two, that's on you. I also loved how in the opening scene we first meet Romeo and Michelle, they're watching Pretty Woman and making fun of it. And I was just writing notes being like, I'm making fun of a movie. That's a movie about making fun of another movie. How meta. I thought the exact same thing. Did you really? Yeah, I, I was about to write down like very meta. Because they're like, yeah, we've only watched this movie like 36 times and we make fun of it every time. And she's like, actually, it is kind of sad. It's literally what we do. We get on here attempting to make fun of movies and then we're like, this actually has a lot of heart. 
And also one more level deep, anyone who listens to this is listening to people who are watching the movie of them watching a movie. We've all been incepted. Yeah, it's normally Michelle all the way down. Cut in on these girls who share a bedroom, making fun of pretty woman, and you are right away just slapped in the face with the big dick that is the 90s. This almost looks like a movie that was not made in the 90s about the 90s because it's so overtly, you know, like when we were in the 90s, we weren't like, oh, this is so 90s. We were just like, this is life. And man, style in the 80s was weird. I mean, this movie really is like embracing it so hard that it's almost comical. I totally agree. I think that's a great call because when we decided to watch this movie, I thought that there was a possibility that this movie could be made in like 2005 Big time. to talk about the 90s that go back in time to the 80s because of how cartoonishly 90s it is. Yeah, it's like a commentary on its own time, which is yeah. weird that they almost saw into the future of how we see the 90s. I mean, imagine someone making like a movie about 2022 and having it like perfectly embody 2022 to the point where it's almost like cartoonish about it. I don't, I can't even think about what that would be. Challenge mean. accepted. <laughs> We're all like, we don't want to relive this time ever. Yeah, we all right, won't that's make true. that movie. Yeah. It's like all the people uh, in Chernobyl. It's like, oh, I can't wait to- oh, Fuck. You know, it just came to HBO and I cannot wait. <laughs> Our plight in theirs. Yeah. Exactly, exactly the same. same. Anywho, the outfits are super, super fun <laughs> in 90s. All of the accessories, the jewelry. I want to wear almost everything they wear in this film. Yeah, I'm here for it. So we just kind of get an idea of like a day in the life of Romeo and Michelle, which is hanging out at the laundromat or going to the club pretty much every night. Drinking exclusively Diet Cokes with tons of cherries. Which I approve of. I still drink Shirley Temples at the club. And by still, I mean the last time I was in a club. <laughs> yeah, I think that we're getting like kind of like a sense of Romy Michelle's life. Cut to Romy at her job at the Jaguar dealership. Where does she work? Oh, sorry. Jaguar? We cut to her at the Jaguar <laughs> dealership. And she meets... Janine Garofalo, who she recognizes from high school. And Janine says, are you coming to the 10-year reunion? And then they have to fill out this questionnaire about all the things that have changed since high school. And I think that's when it sets in for her, like, actually, our lives aren't as impressive as we think they are. What really, like, kind of hit me in the face about this was Facebook didn't exist. Right! <laughs> You'd know everything about these people before you went to a 10-year reunion. They would need no questionnaire. We all know what your kids look like. And we all know what your mediocre looking husband is doing for a living. Right. So they don't know anything. They're not even comparing themselves to other people yet. Now it's compare and despair on a daily basis. I think probably too, the unknown of going to a high school reunion, knowing what you know about your own life and knowing that you maybe don't feel like you accomplished a ton, but not knowing what everybody else is going to be bringing to the table is even more nerve-wracking because then you start to be like, oh my God, they're all super successful and hot still and not necessarily the case, but you don't know that. They start to kind of like look through their yearbook and it, which is such a great plot device to bring us back into flashback mode. I love a good flashback, especially an 80s high school flashback. They're great because also they flip to the yearbook and then they zoom in in the picture and then the picture starts to animate. I was very intrigued by the fact that they were like, okay, A group, cheerleaders, B group, drama club. Me too. That's your B group? Because as a drama club kid, I had friends and all, but I wouldn't consider typically that the drama club was like second tier to the cheerleaders. I think that this was written by a bunch of people in drama club, maybe. <laughs> 
They're like, how do we make it not so obvious? But okay, we'll be second most popular. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There had to be something else before Drama Club. Or maybe the arts is just highly valued in Tucson, Arizona. From what I know about Tucson, Arizona, I think that checks out. (laughs) Fun fact, the exteriors of Romeo and Michelle's Sagebrush High School, supposedly based in Tucson, Arizona, was actually Valencia High School located in Santa Clarita, California, which is also seen in Pleasantville and Biodome. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I love both those movies for exactly the same reason, because they're emotional depth. Right, right. We get a bunch of great scenes from high school. Michelle was talking about Romy, and she's like, yeah, you're kind of fat. And they zoom in, and it's Romy, and she has a hamburger, and she's like, I love it when it's hamburger day. Classic fat girl trope. Yeah. This person who's not, not fat, fat at like, all. That could be very damaging. The fact that that's the line in this movie where they're like, yeah, you were kind of fat. And they cut to her and she's looks more or less the same. Svelte. <laughs> like they don't change her face yeah. at all. They maybe put a, a bit of padding in her leggings, but like not fat. But she does love hamburgers, so she must be a fat girl. Right. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, first of all, like not for nothing, but Romy is like a, a super attractive woman. The equivalent is apparently Lisa Kudrow as Michelle with a back brace and she can't. Bullies are sticking magnets to and that is like the height of bullying back then. I was kind of like, these girls are both hot. So I do not see a world in which they're like the freaks of the school. It doesn't make any sense. They should have made them a little more awkward if they were going to make that believable. They had a tough time because they have two really, really pretty actresses to try to make seem like outcasts. Sure. But look at Josie Grossi, you know, never been kissed. They take Drew Barrymore and make her very realistically awkward. I just think they could have tried a little harder if they were going to be super outcast. But maybe, you know, it was really more in their heads where they kind of chose to be outcast because they just liked doing their thing, the two of them. Yeah, I hope that that's the case, that they were just doing their own thing. I mean, not that I can speak for the high school experience in 2022, but I feel like if two girls showed up to the prom dressed like Madonna, they would be the hit of the prom. Yes, agreed. I think being an individual is highly regarded now. They were really ahead of their time. The fashion choices, the hair choices, and all these Beaumont motherfuckers are just like... Freaks. Zoom in on the prom. Time after time is playing. After Romy gets up the courage to ask her crush to dance and he just leaves her hanging all night. Billy. Such a hot guy name. Billy is a very hot guy name. Not a, well, you tell me, not a super hot guy person. He was fairly hunky. Okay, so if we're looking at like the classic standard for the hot guy in high school, standard would be like fairly good looking, in shape, plays sports, has zero personality, which he encompasses pretty much all of those things. Totally understand. Maybe he's just like a really good looking guy. I think maybe I'm reading too much into this. That's the guy that you romanticize in your mind. You haven't even said two words to. And then when you do try to have a conversation, he's just like, oh, yeah, cool. He crushed whatever that is. Yeah, Billy's ripped. He's awesome. He's terrible. But he has a motorcycle. So I'm, I'm fairly conflicted. Marry him. I wish I could. Billy stands Romy up and we have just like a really nice friendship moment where Michelle's like, I'll dance with you, Romy. And they slow dance it time after time, which then like cements that song as like an emotional foothold in this movie. If we didn't already need it, we are so taken by their friendship already. Love their sweet roommate situation with their twin beds in the same room. Yeah. The epitome of friendship. They have their cat. They're eating chips on the couch. 90s alert. They're eating Cool Ranch Doritos when the bag still had like the cutout chip window. This is so wild. I was going to write that down and I was like, there's no one else who would think that that was 
weird. Oh, hello. That was absolutely something I thought of. I had no idea that that was a thing. I didn't either. And I just was looking at it like, man, no one would ever give us that kind of transparency into our snacks today. <laughs> like until you open that bag, you do not know what you're going to get. Well, also, I think that a bag of Doritos is like 80% air. So if you can look into that thing. That's why they took away the yeah, chip Yeah, the marketing window. execs from Doritos, good on you, but also bad on you. Give us the chips we deserve. I think all snacks should have a snack window. All right, this has been Millennial Movie Club. <laughs> so the girls, young women, make a pact that they are going to go to this reunion and they are going to better their lives so that they have something impressive to talk about when they show up. For Michelle, that is to get a good job. And for Romy, that is to find both of them boyfriends. They go on this hunt and they are not super successful. Of course, they are also like LA babes. So they're only looking for guys that have super good jobs because that's more impressive. One of my favorite lines is when like a fairly handsome guy comes up to Romy at the club and reveals that he's a suit salesman. She goes, "Uh, would you excuse me? I cut my foot before my shoe is filling up with blood. And she limps away. I think that's my favorite line. I think so too. This accent, by the way, it is so... Great. It's amazing. Is that a caricature of an accent or is that a real accent? It's like very bass heavy. Long O's. Oh, Ramon. Oh, <laughs> oh, Ramon. Yes. Well, whatever it was, it was so successful. It, very effective. It, it really made this movie. Yeah. Michelle is hunting for a job. Romy is hunting for boyfriends and they are both on a quest to lose weight. And I cannot get enough of their workout ensembles. They are like kickboxing in leather vests, wearing heels on the treadmill. Once they're around other people, even in LA, you realize they're pretty ridiculous. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There's that scene where it's like, well, to lose a pound a day, you only need to burn twice as many calories as you take in. So all we need to do is run 20 miles. And like, <laughs> right. Michelle just looks at her and like she's already over it, but she's kind of going with Romy's plan. But I think it's because like the whole time she's not too upset about everything. She takes everything with a grain of salt. She's just not judgmental. Like even when, you know, they're trying to get a great car to drive there, which is where, of course, we get the great oh, Ramon scene where Romy pretends to have sex with her coworker Ramon to impress the other guys and so that she can borrow his very nice car. Lisa Kudrow is like, how did you get this car? And she's like, I had to give hand jobs to all the guys at work. And she just is like, oh, cool. So anyway, I packed this thing and she calls her out. She's like, that was a joke. Do you honestly think I would do that? And Michelle's just like, I mean, like, whatever. The attitude is just kind of like, do you. I'm not here to judge. Like, live your life. Give your hand jobs. I love Michelle. Her positivity, just being there for her friends. It's the simplicity of her. Yes, I agree. So they're not going to get boyfriends and jobs in time. What they figure out is if they look the part and they have the right story, they can just pretend. So they figure out that they're going to be business women. They're starting to drive to the uh, reunion and they stop at a diner and they have these suits on and they're like, do you have some type of business women special that's like one of my favorite parts ever i also just love that they're listening to footloose in the car on cassette and don't know the words but are still singing and the car keeps backfiring and conking out and romy's getting really annoyed and michelle's just like every time the car starts back up she's like Woo! 
There's something like, Tucson, here we come, or something every <laughs> single time. Right. They start playing the fortune teller paper game. But it's a little paper thing where you put your fingies in there and you like move it and you're like, okay, pick a number. Now pick another number. It'd either be like, you're going to marry that captain of the football team and have 18 kids. Or it'd be like, oh, you're going to marry the kid who smells his own farts in fourth period. And Sandy Frank. Sandy Frank. Poor Sandy Frank. <laughs> He's so sweet. He's like the most polite high school boy. I mean, man. And you know why? It's because Alan Cummings is gay. So he's inherently better than all straight men. That's true. That's what it is. And Michelle's not super nice to him. She's very mean to him. I feel like we all have like a thing that we did or said in high school or middle school where we still think about it. Is that just me? Where it's like, oh, that was mean. That wasn't nice. Or like I laughed at a thing I shouldn't have laughed at. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think I like have a greatest hits in my head that I go through when I'm trying to fall asleep. <laughs> the shame album? Yeah. I think that's how we learn how to be good people, right? It's like we do shitty things and we feel remorse. And if we don't, then we're a sociopath and we'll probably go on to kill people. I like that interpretation. That's way better. Yeah. It's all part of the experience. But I don't think anybody who went to this high school ever learned that lesson, to be real. Yeah, even by the end, really, no one learned anything. Unfortunately, the gals get into a real blowout fight. Yeah, very sad. They're trying to figure out who is something in Rhoda from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Basically, Romy is trying to get this really masterful story together of how they invented the post-it. And she more or less is sort of taking credit for it all. And Michelle's not loving that. And Romy, in so many words, is like, no one will believe that you invented this because you're notoriously stupid, which no doubt doesn't go over super well. And so then it kind of erupts into Michelle fighting dirty, being like, well, you're just mad that you're not as cute as me. They are fighting over who's the Mary and who is the Rhoda. So Mary and Rhoda are characters that started in the Mary Tyler Moore show. I guess Mary is the hotter one of the two. So they get to a huge fight and then they get to the reunion and things are kind of off a little bit. Not so much where it's not believable. To be honest, the first time that I watched it, I thought that these things were really happening. Same. Because it's not so off-brand for this movie. The movie is all already a little bit fantastical in some ways. Agreed. So we arrive at this kind of funky reunion and the girls split up. Romy is looking for Billy right away and finds him and they kind of have this moment where they just like connect and it's magical. And Michelle approaches the A group. So they're all, of course, wearing their like individually colored outfits and all of their cocktails match their outfits. Michelle decides she's going to take credit for inventing the post-its and they kind of put her on the spot a little bit and she just starts rattling off the exact process of how to make glue. And still I'm not clued into the fact that this is not real. <laughs> Me neither. And so I start to look into it. So someone from 3M who invented Post-Its, there was an interview with him and they said that the movie approached him about coming up with dialogue that would sound believable. And he was like, yeah, I provided that dialogue, but it has nothing to do with how you create Post-Its. It has nothing to do with <laughs> glue or anything like it is total nonsense well yeah he's like i'm not gonna give you the secret sauce yeah that's true he was very uh, withholding he's like this is why i'm worth millions and you're not but she sounds very smart yeah there's actually a rumor that i found in a lot of different articles that lisa kudrow 
improvise that monologue. Whoa. And it's not true. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> she did not she did not improvise that monologue. And clearly not because we got feedback from Mr. Post-it himself. So everyone's kind of like blown away by this and she has this like great empowering moment where she was able to <laughs> theorize how post-its were made. She just wants to tell her best friend about this moment who's like just about to kiss Billy in the car and this is where she struts off and immediately gets hit by a limo again. I'm not registering that this is a dream sequence for whatever reason, <laughs> which the more I talk about it, the more embarrassing it's becoming. The limo belongs to none other than Sandy Frank, who is now a super wealthy scientist, I guess like the Elon Musk of their time. He never fell out of love with her. And because apparently he is rich, you know, Michelle is now into him. For a movie that's trying to tell people like, be yourself, our protagonist is like, now I'll sleep with you because you have a helicopter. Right. So everything works out for them in their reunion. In their dream reunion. In their dream reunion. Here is when I realize they're in a dream, is when he floats out of the sunroof of the limo. It was not until then that I was like, oh, this is not happening. <laughs> and especially when they fast forward into the future when both of them are super, super old. 70 years ahead, which I'm also like, okay, 10 years out of high school, you're- 28. Plus 70 years. Yeah, that's 99. Which I was like, mm. Romy is literally about to die. Romy's on her deathbed. So then they FaceTime one another. They posit a future in which FaceTime exists. And the first thing that happens is they start rekindling this argument about I'm the Mary. <laughs> I'm the Mary. You'd think they would have found like a fresher reference by then. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. I'm the Kim. You're the Chloe. I'm the Kim. Of course, that would be more accurate. So we get the like kind of going back into the reality in which Michelle has fallen asleep in the car and Romy left her. Did not wake her up. And of course, like the first friendly face we see is this poor character named Toby that is so sweet and excited about <laughs> everything. And the whole movie, basically, Janine Garofalo is just like, fuck off. But she's right there checking people in. I'm like, did she ever leave? Yeah, to be honest, I feel like that's a pretty accurate character, though. The person who just stayed. It's just like a gung-ho organizer still about the whole experience. Thank you for those people. You're awesome. Yeah, we need those people. It's nice to see people like that as opposed to those of us who are just like, well, gotta be extraordinary. Gotta be best of the best because yeah. our whole generation was told we were super special out of the womb. We need those people. We don't need us Janine Garofalo's. Who are like, fuck your enthusiasm. Yeah, we're sated there. We need more Tobys in the world. Yeah, I need to be more Toby. Now we are entering the actual real life reunion. Which is really not very different. Except for the fact that the A group, as opposed to like being career women, have decided to just be baby making machines, which is fine for the record, but they are clearly defensive about it. Yes, and that is all they could talk about. I feel like that kind of just throws off Michelle's offense, really. Right. Her vision of success is not really going to resonate with them. Right. Because, okay, how do I want to phrase this without being offensive? <laughs> Take your time. Thanks to feminism. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great opening. <laughs> There's good and bad sides to feminism. Well, here it is. Feminism is really meant to just be plainly stated that women are equal to men. Women should have the same opportunities as men, all of these things. But then there are like a lot of self-hating women on both sides of it that are like, I'm not just going to sit home and have babies. I'm going to have a life. I'm going to have a career. And then there are the women that are like home having babies who are like, Christy shames, you know, the Vogue editor of just basically being like a shriveled up old 
career woman. So like there's a lot of shaming on either side. Either you're like a bad mother and a career woman or you haven't done anything with your life because you've just had babies. So it's like there is some weird contempt there in the sea of femininity. But they totally show up with this approach like it's impressive to be a career woman. And you're right. It's just like not going to be impressive to somebody who's specifically talking down about those kind of women because they're now on their third child. Right. They need to hold some kind of power in that. Right. That's their measure of success, which it is interesting because the movie is kind of, it is picking a side, right? I mean, it's saying that that measure of success is a little delusional, which I think that as the conversation has evolved, it's more nuanced than that. And it's kind of weird that they they chose that side. But yeah, I mean, it is really easy to like characterize a mean girl type by dooming them to just having never done anything but have babies because anybody could do it. Not everyone can do it. Ooh, it's a yeah. tough territory. I mean, even now there's memes that go around where it's like everyone from high school is having babies and I'm like out here living right. my life and there's super popular trope about that. We've really glorified the <laughs> – I feel like too because our generation was the first to grow up with social media. And so now we're seeing parenting from a really realistic point of view but also kind of mixed with what's funny and trending, which is a lot of people being like, oh having kids is the worst or not having kids is the best or I take care of my kids all day long and I want to drink wine all night. And so it's like we're seeing more than we used to see, which was all we used to see was like you have a family and it's like the best thing you've ever done. So it's like it was glorified before in doing it and now we're kind of glorifying how shitty it is, which uh, leaves those of us who have not procreated yet to be in a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> like I always thought I wanted kids, but now every mom influencer is like, where's my giant bowl of wine? When's my husband coming home? All I do is laundry. And it's like, oh, Right. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe this was the jump off point for that whole mindset. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> Only the mean girls have babies and the cool girls go off yeah. to have careers. Or not. Or just pretend. Right. Or just or just pretend about having careers. Uh, they have a beachfront apartment doing yeah. nothing. That's really the dream. The dream is not to have babies or be a career woman. It's to do nothing and have a beachfront apartment. Yeah. It sounds fucking awesome. They really had it backwards in this one. Agreed. This movie sucks. They did. They were the most successful ones all along. And it'll come to fruition in the end of the movie. Right. It just won't become cool until like 2020. But boy, will it. (laughs) Yeah, where all the millennials have finally hit their breaking point where they're like, we've been working really hard for what seems like nothing. So let's get on OnlyFans and make money (laughs) the old fashioned way. A paper needs to be written about this movie, about how much it influenced the OnlyFans generation. Exactly. Let's just make a lot of money or not even, but just have nice things. Like working hard is really overrated to pull us out of this millennial self-hating rabbit hole. She is talking to these three happily pregnant women and she drops a hint that she invented post-its and somehow Janine Garofalo's character walks up behind her and wouldn't you know it, she knows the person who invented post-its and she calls her out on it and then which is just the most humiliating thing in the world. Michelle comes in and sees that she's being humiliated. And then kind of grabs her and they run into the other room and Romy's kind of having a meltdown of like, now I'll never prove them wrong. This is so humiliating. And finally, Michelle kind of has her moment of like, 
look, I was really happy with our lives. And until you said we were big losers, I didn't think we were big losers in high school. I had a great time in high school with you. And I thought our lives were pretty cool until you told me we had to change them. So like, let's just fucking do us. I think that's the best part of this whole movie. And I just love how empowering that is. And they like finally are like, all right, let's ditch these boring businesswoman suits. No offense to businesswomen. Toss those threads. And they like step out in their true to form, Romy Michelle style, these dresses that are iconic, which very recently at the SAG Awards, they came back and reprised the theme. They like were in a pink and blue pantsuit at the SAG Awards presenting and it was a really sweet throwback. They come in with their like highlighter shit and they just go up to that group and are kind of like, why are you such a cold hearted bitch? Right. Which I kind of love that they're not attacking them like their lives. They're not going to walk in there and be like, you're just having babies. They come in and they're just like, you're mean. Why are you so mean? Why are you like this? I don't need you to think I'm cool. Christy Masterson. Yeah. She starts kind of like lashing out in all these petty ways saying that their clothes are like really ugly and then comes in Lisa Meredith from Parent Trap and she says actually it's not bad and everyone starts to kind of like go on to Romy Michelle's side they start becoming very popular and at that moment they said it was really nice seeing you all I think we're gonna leave and they walk outside all right they finally get the approval they've been seeking this whole time and they're just like Bye. Toby, of course, like bursts into the room and is like, hey, everybody, Sandy Frank just landed in a helicopter. Of course, he comes in. He's just as wealthy as she dreamed. It's kind of prophetic and weird that she dreamed that he was a millionaire without knowing that. Well, she doesn't own a newspaper, I guess. Yeah, Probably not big readers. (laughs) But he comes in. He's indeed a millionaire billionaire who invented rubber for sneakers and lands in a helicopter and immediately, essentially the whole like, I may be rich in money, but I'm poor in love because I never got you. And it works. It does work. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. Sure, you're rich now. It's like, can I have this dance? It's like, yeah. If Roman can come and dance with us, cue time after time. Let's go. One of the most iconic dances, I would say, in cinematic history. Agreed. Fun fact, it was originally going to be a disco dance to staying alive. Oh my God, I'm so glad it wasn't would have just been a very different movie. What a gift they've given us with this interpretive dance ballet. It's beautiful. Everyone's watching them in the center of the dance floor. All three of them know every step. See, and this is why I feel like I can't be too hard on myself for not picking up on the dream sequence earlier. Agreed. shit like this happens. 100% agreed. A fully choreographed dance number. So I'm going to cut myself some slack here. Yeah, please. I want them to do it again. Luckily, we can rewind and watch it over and over again. So I meant like a reunion. I want them to do like a reunion performance of the dance. Yeah. They could probably do it. Yes. It was a dance for movers, as we say in the biz. This is the equivalent of posting something and getting like a thousand likes. Yeah, that was going viral back then. It was being in the center of a dance floor. Not a phone in sight. Everyone just living. Living in the moment. Living in the moment. Be burned to their (laughs) memories forever. Now they're leaving. I feel like they've, in reality, have been at this reunion for all of 15 minutes. Yeah, usually these things are like four or five out. I don't know. The trope of going back to your high school reunion and needing to prove people wrong is something that we've seen time after time. Oh, nice call. Thank you. 
And I just don't feel like it ever actually does anybody any good. It's never as gratifying. The people that you want to impress are always, at least in the movie, in the cinematic world, are always kind of way more illusory. I guess the good part is walking away feeling like, hey, I wasn't so bad. But like, it's also a little bit like, man, we really come out of high school with a lot of fucking baggage. I can only speak from my personal experience, but my high school reunion, I just went and saw a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in a really long time and everyone was super Nice. That's really lovely. <laughs> if it was the movie of your life and you were going back to your high school reunion and you did have something to prove and you had to make like a big speech, I know you may have thought this about me. I've done this so many times in my mind. Right. Yeah. I figured it's like your bedtime routine. It's like, okay, do my 10 steps and care and then purge my shame. So <laughs> if, yeah, if you had to make your speech that was like, I know you all thought I was this, but now I'm this, like, how would it go? Hi, everybody. It's nice to see everyone. <laughs> um, everyone's looking really great. I just wanted to give you a quick update about my life. So friendly. I've learned that uh, there's more to life than just not caring about things, that uh, being passionate about <laughs> subjects is, is really, really great. And uh, I've come to, to really like myself and, and feel like self-betterment is a really good part of life. But uh, I forgive all of you for nothing, really. No, no one ever did anything to me. So that was that's my speech. <laughs> That is the friendliest revenge speech of all time. <laughs> Wait, can you give me yours? Uh, sure. What's up, losers? <laughs> it's me, Jazzapatos. Bet you wouldn't think you see me here because I'm so famous already. Well, guess what? I'm not <laughs> yet, but I am working on it. And you know what? Just because I got all the leads in the school plays and it pissed off all your parents, I still never let it get me down. I still kept trying to get leads in plays until I felt like stopping. And then I stopped. Now I host a <laughs> podcast. So I guess eat my butt. <laughs> that was way better than I thought it was going to be. And I haven't been thinking about Holy this. shit. Yeah. I do have that vengeance inside me that boiling feeling of like look who made it out of your hometown fucking yeah i mean i, I could feel that I with they're the listening to this and they know that i'm still mad and i'm not a bigger person this has been one movie podcast <laughs> every week i'll get my vengeance on somebody dan will forgive you politely and also apologize to you speaking of bullies that did not get better we finally run into billy who is vomiting all over himself outside as Romy and michelle are waiting for sandy to pull up his helicopter Ugh. and what i love hate the most about this interaction is that he has not wiped the vomit off of his face like there's still bile all over him and his mouth is getting really close to her i couldn't stop thinking about how much his breath must smell like vomit in that whole scene he's like in her face he like wipes the vomit away and then he kind of like touches her chest a little bit and i was like oh is there still vomit on that finger he runs his finger yeah. down her cleavage which made me uncomfortable that she didn't like smack his hand away i didn't like it at all and he has that fake belly she's like yeah i'll totally get a room with you why don't you get that room and i'll meet you up there and then of course, he like stumbles away. That was an awesome Romy, by the way. I don't want that to oh, go thanks. unnoticed. Now he's going to know what it feels like to wait. Oh, that was like really spot on. They're like, I wish everyone would run out here and watch us leave in this helicopter. And of course they do. <laughs> and they are leaving and they can see kind of an aerial view of everything. They see Janine Garofalo making out with Justin Thoreau. 
which is awesome. They see Christy and her like dress flutters up to see her belly, which is like, I guess, humiliating. Her granny panties. Oh, yeah. She doesn't have great underwear on. It's just like blue with stars. Like, it's not terrible. It's fine. Yeah. That happened to me. You know, I would have been like, all right, but I'm pregnant. She was mortified, though. She was really mortified. She hated There's it. always the moment where yeah. the girl bad guy is like, you can't just... No, and then storms off. Yeah, that was exactly that scene. And we also know that Billy is in the room waiting. We also learn that their marriage is not so great. Like he's actually like a contractor who works for her dad. She tells everybody he's a real estate investor. And he's like, I don't even know if this third kid is mine, which is like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, moral of the story, don't marry your high school sweetheart. No, marry your high school sweetheart once he has already become famous and rich because he will fund all of your dreams, which he does. Your fashion boutique, which looks like it's like on Rodeo Drive or something like that, and they sell all their fashions. And it's wildly popular. It's great. It's such a good ending. I feel like they've been vindicated for their style and their passions. Underdogs rule, popular people drool. Also, fun fact, the original ending for the movie was just meant to be them flying off in the helicopter. Basically like Greece. They just fly off into the sky and that's it. Whoa. Luckily, the director was like, so this is just for nothing? They added in the part where they now have their boutique. So we get their version of a happily ever after. And then the last line is let's fold scarves and then they just fold scarves which sounds awesome they just dump out a bunch of scarves and start folding them together and that's how we end it's a huge metaphor for the whole movie explain it to me i don't want to dive any deeper than that all right that's fair i won't push you overall this movie is really fun and silly it pushes the boundaries of imagination you definitely have to buy into this world and these characters a little bit and if you don't like you're not gonna like it when they made this movie they were trying to essentially make a female version of wayne's world was what they were doing oh right okay which is another one of those movies where you're just like yeah these characters are a little larger than life but like if you can just embrace it then you'll love this movie at the heart of this movie is just about friendship and really loving the person that you are overall I would give this movie out of 10, seven metallic fuzzy pink dresses. And I would give this movie seven folded scarves. <laughs> and, and that's not to say anything against it. I love this movie. Oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, as far as cinema goes, this is one of those movies where it's not going to win an Academy Award, but like you go in expecting to have a good time and you do. Agreed. Yeah. What do you want? Leave us alone. Yeah. Leave us alone. Just watch the movie. Leave us alone, but come back and watch the next episode or listen. Please don't leave us alone. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later Later days. days.